Hello, it's Tuesday 23rd of June. I'm Ayo Abbas and I've just recorded the latest episode of Marketing in Times of Crisis. My guest this week was Pascal Shearer. Pascal has had a very varied career. She's worked in tech, she's worked in architecture and she brings her insights about what she's experienced in both. We touch on topics including the importance of digital marketing, the types of leadership skills she feels are necessary to be successful today, and why we all need to build relationships and networks to thrive. She also gives us a timely reminder about how we all must be mindful of other people's personal circumstances at this present time. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did. I'll stop talking so you can get on and listen. If you like it, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review of what you thought. We're a new series and it really does help us to spread the word. Happy listening. Pascal, can you tell me a bit more about what your about your background and what you and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Thank you, Ayo. So yeah, we met a while ago and um, <laughs> probably yeah, just around the, the last recession. And yes, I started 2002 working for Wilkinson Air Architects. And I'll always remember my first project was working with Kew Gardens, which meant the whole of that summer I spent basically living at Kew Gardens outside, hanging out with botanists. So that was really fun. I loved that place. It was so great. And um, then we we worked on schools because there was the big school building program. Do you remember building schools for the future? Yeah, the one that's national program. Yeah, they got scrapped scrapped in 2010, exactly by Michael (laughs) Gove, bless his soul. So anyway, um, yeah, so we were working on that, and it was it was really really interesting, huge project. It was the project to rebuild 3,600 secondary schools. Yeah, which is quite a big thing. I think they needed to at the height they were going to be completing one school every 36 hours. (laughs) <laughs> it was so ambitious. Because but it, it was so ambitious, yeah. And they hardly even the thing is that they hardly even got started because no. um they'd only done the Pathfinder round and the first round when when the whole programme got cancelled. But we had actually managed to get some get some work built. But there were some then. amazing schools done then that during mm. that period though, weren't there? Like absolutely yep. outstanding ones. Yeah, even Zaha Hadid built a school. Did you know that in South London? Yes, the one with yes. the running track. I was at exactly. Arab when they did yeah. that and they worked on that. Absolutely fantastic. So yeah. it was it's rare that we've had, you know, in our in our career lifetimes a building program like that that was so ambitious. Um, and that's what we built then. As you said, we we set up a women in construction network and we set up a young architects network or architects and engineers. That was really fun. Yeah. A magazine. And that was while I was still working at, at Wilkinson Air Architects. And on the basis of that, then we set up uh, Surface to Air Architects, which became its own practice. And Wired Architects, which was our joint venture with Pringle Brandon. Yeah. Um, who are now part of Perkins and Will, all feels like a lifetime ago, I have to say. And post, <laughs> yeah, post um, 2010, so after the recession, when they cancelled the school building program, I decided to move on to work more in the networking side of things. So I always okay. loved these online, offline networks. It's what I wrote my dissertation on for my master's. And combining online and offline um, networking, so I and that took me to California in 2012, where I met Ray Kurzweil and Peter Diamandis, 
and a whole bunch of amazing people doing amazing things and became interested in AI and all sorts of different tech possibilities um, and combining, you know, combining built environment with tech or looking at different different things that were going to come in in the future, like IoT, Internet of yeah. Things, sensors, combining sensors, etc., drones, all of those things were sort of on the horizon, but not not as well known as they are now. Yeah. And um, that's what I've been doing since, since then, really. And now I'm, I'm working in leadership and um, executive coaching, particularly with engineers, actually, my focus. So it could be built environment uh, work or also in tech. So the specific needs in terms of leadership skills that engineers are looking for. That's what I help with. That's amazing. Um, I guess, like, especially now, in terms of tech and networking and things like that, I mean, how do you think we're doing as an industry in terms of adopting it for marketing purposes? I think that the construction industry has always been quite traditional. Yeah. And there are obviously some, some key players in the field who are quite progressive. Um, and have always been looking ahead to what tech can do, whether that's in BIM or online marketing, et cetera, how they manage their practices. So there's always been the sort of avant-garde who who wanted to integrate those practices, even when they were less well-known and maybe took, took quite a lot of work to get going on those, you know, even just the transition from drawing board to AutoCAD or MicroStation was, you know, took a long time. Absolutely. And, um, and quite a lot you know, of investment, I imagine, yeah, as well, Yeah, it, right? it is a lot of investment as well. It's true. It is a lot of investment. And it's a lot of sort of downtime. I think that's also something that puts people off, is thinking adopting these new practices, these new technologies, it's a big learning curve for people. Absolutely. It's just easier to keep doing what we've been doing before. But I have to say, having worked in London, and now I live out in Marlow in Buckinghamshire, when we were looking at you know planning applications – a lot of them are drawn by hand with a pencil. Really? <laughs> I could hear you sort of <laughs> sharp intake of breath. People actually use pencils? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't it? So are they, are they doing <laughs> virtual consultations in Marlow at the moment then? Or, uh... Well, I guess they would have to be now, but it's been very much a sort of, you know, you've got to understand that it's, the world of architecture is primarily, I think 90% or so is, you know, sort of, one man and his dog yeah um or one woman and her dog and which is you know which is great and it's fine and and the world of of how you know housing extensions or residential extensions is is that sort of world so in a way do you really need to spend the money to get autocad or something like that when it's not what people need it's not what plans require um so it's very different from London and you know big firms that are hundreds of people but they're in the minority that's the thing you know firms over 100 people are very much the minority in in architecture I know in engineering they tend to have bigger firms but yeah um, architects were still very much a small practice sort of profession do you miss it the architecture world Sometimes I miss some aspects of it. I mean, I actually still have, you know, still have lots of architect friends, some of whom have gone rogue like I have and <laughs> doing different things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, a friend of mine who's 
amazing, um, who I was at uh, Oxford Brooks University with. She, you know, got completely qualified. So did her did her eight years getting qualified, and then set up a sustainable fashion consultancy. And she's just raised half a million dollars in uh, in funding. In wow. the middle of in the middle of the COVID crisis, <laughs> you know, she's been working on it for ten years. But you know, she she has this amazing community of people who are all working in sustainable fashion. So I think the thing with architects is that we're so versatile, and yeah. you train in architecture, but you've got lots and lots of different skills, and people end up in all sorts of different directions. So it's fun to to see where people have ended up that you know I was at college with twenty years ago. And what similarities and differences do you see between how kind of tech firms and architectural firms market themselves? Are there things that you kind of stand out to you as being quite, I guess, stark or, 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 or different? They're very different. I, you know, tech firms, they market almost entirely online, digital. Yeah. And if they're going to do some print marketing or some, um, you know, video marketing that's not online then they will they will be doing that as a sort of add-on to to what they're doing online and the primary reason is because they get the analytics so they know exactly what people are responding to and they can just adapt their marketing very very quickly um and what what do you think the architectural world can learn from that well i think the architectural world like i said is quite sort of tends to stick with what it knows yeah and I think they're missing out on an awful lot of possibilities in terms of what they could learn about their their clients. I suppose in a way, it's not it's not architecture doesn't move particularly fast. We know who our clients are. It's a fairly small base of people. You yeah. can talk to them sort of face to face. This is why you know, things like MIPIM are always popular because you know who's going to be there. They're established events. So I think marketing has been very much around events in um, in construction. They have, and, yeah. And obviously all of that has changed. And we don't know really what's going to happen in terms of those events in the next year. People have sort of been thinking, well, from September, everything will be okay, or we'll put our event back to October. And the reality is we don't know if those things are going to be happening again. And if they are, will they be? Will travel be affordable or even yeah. reliable enough? And I think a lot of companies now are looking to to find alternatives. You know, the money they would have spent going to, for example, MIPIM, what are they going to do with it? That's marketing budget they can spend elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think what's quite interesting at the moment is, I mean, for me in particular, I think in some ways not having those big events, which are, you know, the staples such as MIPIM, means that other things have come to the fore. So I guess it's leveled the playing field in a way, networking-wise. Because yeah. it makes things much more accessible. Because I know I've met people who have said, oh, I've always wanted to come to this event or this networking event, but I've never had the time or I'm based in Reading and the events are in London in the evening and I can't make it. Yeah. And I think in some ways, actually lockdown and, 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 and it's all being enforced on everybody has meant that it's more open to more diverse voices yeah. and faces in the industry, which for me is actually a good thing in that in that way. Definitely, because it's our industry is so London-centric. It always has been. And like you say, if all the big events are in London, you know, the the decision makers are in London because the government's in London, the big funders, big agencies, they're all in London. So it's difficult if you're outside, even if you're places with a strong construction and and architecture community like Manchester or Bristol. Yeah. It's still not, not those big 
events, you know, all the magazines as well. If you wanted to to sort of brush up with editors and and journalists, you would you would need to be in London. Yeah, but it'll be so interesting. I do think you're right. It does it does level the playing field for larger companies and for companies that are not not in the big cities. Absolutely, which I which I think is is quite an interesting angle on all of this. Um, are you do you, are there places where you think architects and engineers should be kind of looking for inspiration when it comes to how they market themselves going forward? Are there people that do it particularly well? Yes, I mean, I think you know, look at definitely look at what tech companies are doing. We seem to forget sometimes that because we work in the built environment, actually, where we spend our time is increasingly online. So yeah. it's independent of our location. And we should be thinking about, you know, built environment is competing with with online environments. And therefore, if you look at what people are doing to get people's attention online and what works, that's what's going to be um, most useful. And I think it's very much to do with a focus on building relationships. I mean, marketing yeah. always has been, right? It's always been about brand and relationships, and and that takes time. Um, so, looking at companies that have strong relationship building, for example, on LinkedIn, yeah, which is obviously the business the main business platform. Looking at what people are doing with with online advertising, and but it, of course it shifts all the time. You know, YouTube isn't as popular as it used to be. Now people have gone elsewhere. Yeah. Um, a lot of other platforms are now competing on video. Whereas YouTube used to be the main, the main platform, and things like podcasts actually are very interesting in terms of how people are using their time, listening in, and and having that combination of being able to contact people through LinkedIn, being able to listen to podcasts, watch videos, do more interactive. I think everything yeah. that's that's interactive, where you're actually able to connect with people directly and in, in an authentic way is useful. And I think it's, you can no longer sort of say, well, I don't really want to be interactive. I'm going, it's too much hard work. It's too much time. I'm going to just, you know, I want to be able to just put an advert in front of 50,000 people in a magazine because that's not how it works. Exactly. It's just not how it works anymore. It's much more about being targeting, um, being very specific about who your audience is and who you want to talk to. And online affords you the ability to, to exactly you know, put your information in front of people who would be interested in it, which is better for everybody. Absolutely. And actually you can make more engaging information as well. There's yeah. much more tools. You can use much more kind of different ways to tell that story, which I think yeah. is the most powerful thing about online is that you can, you know, so many different mediums yeah. and you can bring far more people into it. And I think, I think that's the exciting part. But I think there's not that many people that actually take that kind of digital first approach which I think is what they should probably be moving towards rather than always looking for print or something like that. Yeah, definitely. And I think things like collaborations are still going to be important and strong. Yeah. You know, sponsoring events was quite often, we found that you know just sponsoring an event is one thing. And that's almost a bit like putting an advert in a, in a paper or something. You just pay for it and people see it. Yeah. But actually, if it's a collaboration where there's a really strong synergy between the, the two organizations yeah um, then that obviously then makes that sponsorship much more relevant much more about creating conversations and showcasing Absolutely. in terms of if, if we're a consultancy for any consultancy your you know your main value is the 
the intelligence and the knowledge and the subject matter expertise of your staff. Absolutely. And therefore, the more you can do that will actually showcase that and show potential clients how good you are at what you do, the better. Yeah, I think whenever I've done sponsorships, I think one of the key things is how do you make it special to me or bespoke to that company that I'm working for? Because yeah. I think otherwise, if it's just the let's sponsor the lanyards, it's like you'll you'll be lost in X amount of, you know, 20 other sponsors and no one's ever going to remember it. But if you yeah. do something that's different, that really does stand out, you know, I think I think that's the key is trying to make something that, that really fits with your brand and your company. Exactly. Yeah. There is something about, you know, just general visibility, general brand awareness, people seeing you in eight different places, yeah. et cetera, that is useful. But at the same time, the other part is that where you add value. And yeah. exactly. Are you adding value if your name's on a lanyard? No, you're just, it's just visibility. Mm. But if you're creating a seminar, if you're creating a breakout room, if you're, um, you know, offering people something that's really of value to them and useful, hosting conversations you're you're bringing people together absolutely then that's where you know the visibility plus the added value come together so moving on so in terms of leadership skills which I know you work a lot on do you think I mean I guess are there things that engineers and architectural leaders should be looking at or trying to develop so that they can be better at marketing absolutely comes down to being strategic and integrating business strategy business development marketing and also another part which people don't tend to think about in terms of marketing is attracting talent so like i said if you're a consultant then your your primary asset is your staff and there are some you know well-known companies who spend most of their time just trying to get the best people in and making sure that they don't want to leave because of, and then they just let them exactly and they let them do do their thing once they're in and get the best people yeah. and let them do their thing and and that's you know what a good consultancy is based on so i find it amazing actually when people seem to think oh marketing is just about being client facing no and not realizing yeah. that actually we're always marketing to people who might want to come and work with us and in yeah. terms of certainly thinking about it as an, you know the young architect myself and and talking to other Younger people, they're looking at what people are putting, what companies, what firms are putting out there with a critical eye of who they might want to work with in future. There is a whole growing kind of groundswell around employer brand, employer branding, mm. and just kind of understanding more about what you're saying to talent and future talent. Because as you say, you have to be putting out the right messages that really connect with people and resonate with people if you want them to join you and also if you want your people to stay. So there is this whole kind of area that is definitely growing in importance and internal communications as well. Mm. Um, and I think for practices, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become more and more important, especially as there's less and less talent out there to kind of choose from and you want the best. Yeah, and I think nowadays people, I think... I think with the current crisis and obviously the employment crisis that's happening, it might, I hope it won't encourage employers to think, oh, we don't really need to spend time and money on this because there'll just be a lot of people who want jobs. Because I think the reality is that the best people are always going to be, you know, headhunted and recruited. And yes, there are, unfortunately, going to be lots and lots of people looking for jobs, particularly in in sectors that have been badly affected, such as aviation. but ultimately, consultancy is is its people. And in terms of 
the other side of it is that it's your people who are your marketing to your clients. Yeah. So if you start attracting the wrong people, and the, the danger is really when there's a lot of work and not a lot of people out there looking for jobs. So when you're in a real boom period, like just before the last recession or sort of just before this one, if you're yeah. in a boom period and you struggle to get staff, the temptation is just to take, you know, whoever comes in the door with you know the basic requirements but then what happens is that your company culture is dictated by the the people it's not company culture doesn't come down from the top as much as it's actually just lived by the people who are there so getting the wrong people in just because you want um you know people to fill the office can be very dangerous i think the flip side is that now people think oh we don't need to be attracting talent because there's just going to be lots of people around looking for jobs but it doesn't really work like that, particularly mm. if you're at the very top end of your of your sector. Because even if you're the best at what you do, you've always got competition for those top staff. And you've got to find ways, particularly now, everybody's looking at the ethics and the values of a company through what they're actually doing during these, yeah. this crisis time. If you don't get your talent retention strategy right now and your, your support for your staff, um, those people are going to be looking elsewhere. I think everybody, I think it's fair to say that everybody has been shaken up by COVID in terms of thinking, what am I doing with my life? And, you know, where are my yeah. priorities? And, and what do I want to do? You know, how am I going to spend my time? Is my career going in the right direction? I think people yeah. are m- actually much more keen to jump into something new. I see a lot of people setting up businesses, thinking, yeah. well, things are unstable anyway why not just try go for it yeah and I guess if you've got that dream you've got that dream and you might as well give it a go and I guess now is yeah it's now there's no reason not to try yeah okay um so moving on um looking back at previous recessions so obviously you were affected by building schools for the future being canned um how did you fare kind of any other kind of 2008 2009 post Lehman's type of world what happened to you there? Well, the interesting thing was that we we actually sort of heard about the recession really early, around about the middle of 2007, before okay. the Lehman Brothers popped. <laughs> because <you> what <laughs> happened is we were hiring and um, we found that a number of students who were expecting to get their part, they were coming out of university with part two and part one placements. Yeah. Um, those placements were falling through. So we were sort of thinking, oh, that's a bit odd. But there was clearly a bit of a jitter, and we knew. And, and a couple of times, people actually f- from different industries phoned us up and said, well, architects are the canary in the mine. When, when, because it was a, obviously a, a property market crash. Yeah. So those jitters were already coming through in the middle of 2007. I'd say even maybe around May 2007. We were, feeling it, we were feeling it that early, yeah. So you kind of knew this doesn't feel right. Yeah, we knew something was happening. And and it was interesting because we were working with Pringle Brandon and they they had actually set up in the last recession in, in about 1990. So yeah. they'd been through that. So they, they were very aware of this because their industry is um, you know, doing interiors for big companies. And they they just, you know, they have a very, very strong business model for whether it's a recession or not because they started mm. in a recession. 
So we were looking at actually what's going to happen with schools. And what did happen is we were able to hire some really great people that we probably would never have got if it hadn't been a recession. We yeah. hired amazing people who had been made redundant three times already by sort of around 2008. Wow. Yeah. So people were really struggling. And these are really, really talented people. So we found that we had suddenly, you know, a lot more CVs coming in through the door. Yeah. And people who had been bouncing between jobs for a couple of times, and we would obviously check their referees, we would phone them up and they would say, oh, we would definitely have kept them if we we had to let them go because projects ended and new projects were not starting. It was that gap between a project ending and then a new, they had lots of work. You know, architects have lots of work in the pipeline. Yeah. Lots of potential projects. But just that point where the client actually has to commit to it, they were sort of okay. saying, well, maybe we'll just wait a couple of months and see what happens. And, and then you've got resource, you've got someone sitting there just waiting who still yeah, has to be paid exactly. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. isn't it? It's that feast and famine type thing, isn't it? Which is which is one of those things in this industry. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's happening again now. I'm not sure how. Um, obviously, the difference now is you've got the furlough option. Yeah. Which, again, sort of leaves people dangling on a string, really, as to not knowing whether or not they do have a job to go back to. Um, and I think it's difficult, particularly for young people who haven't been through a session before. This might be very, very unusual for them. Or yeah. for people who are coming out of university, and I particularly feel for, you know, architects who who have to find that part one placement, part two placement, and it's a long haul. And if you're yeah, trying to do that now, hard. it's, not, it's yeah. not easy at all. So, yeah, and then, so 2008, then obviously we could see everything going down. What happened is that Golden Brown actually decided to invest in infrastructure and they decided to keep the economy going by investing in big projects, the kind yeah. of New, De New Deal style 1930s model. <laughs> and, um, and one of them was, was the school's projects. So they threw a whole load of money into it and said, let's keep that going. Let's accelerate that. It will keep people yeah. working. And we need those schools anyway. We need, you know, this is a long-term investment for the next 100 years. So let's keep investing in that. And it meant that suddenly... In architecture, almost you know, all the all the work was in was in building schools for the future. Um, and some and amazing just, schools were created, mm, though some absolutely there was some amazing ones. things. Uh, but it was incredibly high pressure on on our clients, the local authorities. We were working in uh, my main project was in Camden, and it yeah. was a race against time, knowing that they were going to cancel the program, and if we could just get through the next gateway, then we might get the schools built. So we were looking oh. at they had thirteen secondary schools including the special needs schools, and they managed to get two built. But a whole, the other, you know, the other, other, um, the other 11 schools had done a lot of work, several years of work, and never got the money. Oh, that must have yeah, just been painful. heartbreaking, right? Really heartbreaking painful, and obviously, it didn't, it didn't even work for the contractors because the, the contractors have put a lot of extras into those first two yeah. schools. The new build UCL-sponsored um, Global Academy and and uh, what's now thinking they get College. stuff further down the line absolutely because they were going to make the money back on on doing third, a project of thirteen schools yeah but actually then they only ended up building the two really expensive ones plus all the cost of spending three years doing that bid okay so yeah it was pretty painful for everybody and you know there's some great people working in those in those um, 
organizations and and everybody was very passionate about the aspect of you know transforming education and giving them a school the right school environment to work from and learn from and stuff which which is I mean it had admirable aims didn't it I mean it really did did. Um, moving on to my final final question um so what one tip would you give to business leaders about how to market themselves now so there's a really important one, I think, which is that this is this is not normal times. <laughs> it's pretty obvious yeah. to say, but almost, you know, after three months of lockdown, we can start to feel like this is normal, but it's not. And I would say the main thing is don't come across as being tone deaf in your communications about the issues that people are having. So, you know, I see it quite a lot in, in online marketing. You can see that people are doing a marketing campaign that was set up pre-COVID. And those Absolutely. sort of emails are still rolling out as if, you know, with absolutely no reference to the crisis. Yeah. It was strange enough in, in, in March when that happened or in April. And you can see that communications had been planned in advance and hadn't been updated. And yeah. it came across as being really tone deaf. And, you know, it's absolutely inexcusable if that's still happening now. But the other thing is that you also can't be just focusing on crisis, crisis management, and not thinking ahead, you know, for the next 18 months. But it is about relationships and it's about building goodwill. What can you offer people? How can you support people? Yeah. Being a good, being a good citizen as a company in the community, recognizing that the community has has huge problems and you know we're all in the same storm we're not in the same boat so if you're doing okay then it would seem pretty tone deaf to be going out and announcing your your latest planning approval or your latest competition win or something Mm. knowing that a lot of other people are really are really struggling and people are losing their homes people are losing their loved ones you know it's it's important to be to be very aware of that and all sorts of, you know, things that have been happening recently. It's like, I, I genuinely think it is hard for, for marketing departments to navigate what they sort of should be saying, should be doing, but it's got to be genuine. It's got to be genuine. And actually, yeah. I think a lot of it's got to be direct. Like, I yeah. think actually a lot of it is actually picking up that phone. And talking to somebody and actually going, how are you? And having that conversation. I don't necessarily think it is a big broadcast message going out, going, we're just fantastic, because it's kind of, it just doesn't feel right. Absolutely. And I think the messages that are going out, anything of the companies I see that I appreciate what they're doing in their in their work, which which doesn't necessarily come across as just a marketing message, but actually where they are promoting other people promoting other companies promoting charities etc they're showing you know good work that's around they're showing their values in a different way by using their platform to promote other organizations yeah. and, and i think that's people. you know it's nice to see when when people are sort of going the extra mile in, a, in an authentic way yeah so they're not just saying oh i'm just doing this but it's all about me um they are actually genuinely trying to be a, a good citizen and I think that will go that will go a long way people will remember companies that behave badly particularly towards their employees like weather spoons yeah. <laughs> sports director etc you know people <laughs> do remember those things sometimes for a long time and 
and also when you think like you said about employer what did you call it um, employer brand employer branding how you deal with uh, redundancies is going to leave a legacy for years Huge. people remember I mean, those things absolutely i think the best i mean best people dealing with redundancy it sounds a bit weird but airbnb mm. their ceo i mean he wrote like an open letter which was we're having to let people go and they put in the, all the whole support packages you know they had literally thought you know community this is how we're going to help you you know this is how we made the decision making process they were open and transparent about it and they sent that letter internally and externally and it was just it was a really well thought through message and they yeah. thought through how we actually support those people who are going. And it's like 25% of their staff were being let go. But, yeah. you know, we're going to use our HR teams and everyone to to help you find new jobs and to train you up. And so it was all there as in we're going to do what we can because you're still part of our community and our family. And it was just, yeah. I thought it was just amazing. I just thought you thought of it. But I guess as well, they probably got the resource to do that, admittedly. Well, I mean, they're also in a huge crisis. I mean, they, and I yeah. think the relationship actually between HR and marketing is super important right now. Absolutely. Because there's lots of change and I, happening. And I don't know whether, this is something I'm not huge, hugely familiar with, is how much HR and marketing would be working together in ordinary circumstances. Um, and how much, you know, particularly from a strategic level of thinking, well, how do we, you know, how do we keep, as a company, it's not just about, clients it's also about our our staff and our you know our values and who we are as a company I think in larger companies I've seen it happening more so internal comms as well working with HR mm. and things like that and employer brand the large companies are starting are, are doing that more so it's definitely a growing field but it's a growing field not just in the kind of architectural industry but across the board for all, all companies I think and it's yeah. recognizing the value in that but um yeah thank you so much for your time i've really really enjoyed this conversation so me too yeah <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground um, brilliant thanks so much for your time pascal bye great bye thanks so much for listening to marketing in times of crisis i really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to tune in Check out the show notes for useful links, including my website, where you can find out more about everything featured today and how to get in touch. We're a new podcast, so if you like what you've heard, please do subscribe so that you never miss an episode and more people get to hear about us. 